We're still in this series called The Opposite Way. Uh, we're almost at the end. I think we have today and next week before we, uh, we will start, start a new series. And um, we are still looking at Matthew chapter 5 at the Beatitudes. Really, Jesus' first time teaching publicly. And I know we've gone over this a few times. I just want to briefly recap where Jesus is, what's the context of this passage. He's, he's in Galilee, northern uh, Israel, the area that he had grown up. He had begun his ministry, called some of his disciples already, and had started walking around teaching and, and healing people. And the crowd that he's speaking to here at this, what we're calling the Sermon of the Mount, is a group of people who have traveled from all over Israel and other countries to come and seek Jesus and desperately seek healing or his touch in some way or another. A lot of them has, have been ostracized by society. A lot of them are in desperate need of healing for themselves or others that they have brought. And we called this, this series on the Beatitudes, on the first part of Matthew chapter 5, the opposite way, because Jesus is calling things and situations blessed that we probably would not consider blessed in the way that we use the word. We, when we use the word blessed, we, we think of people who are fortunate, who, who are maybe lucky, who have, have uh, sufficient resources and health. But Jesus is calling things blessed like being depressed, like mourning, being deeply sad. He's calling people blessed who are desperate for justice because they've endured injustice. Um, so a lot of characteristic situations that we would consider anything but blessed. And yet Jesus says, no, you are blessed. But it has nothing to do with the situation you're in or the circumstances you find yourselves in. You're blessed because of what I can do in the midst of those and so Jesus is really talking about a completely different way of living, a complete different perspective. And the word translated blessed here, it's actually, I, I just was reminded the other day because I have a good friend from Germany visiting of the German translation of this word blessed, and it is selig, and it actually has to do with salvation. Um, it's a word to talk, that talks about, and that's really what this word blessed also means. And we've got to remember that when we read our Bible, we're reading with an English translation of the original Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic. So our translations always fall a little bit short. This word translated blessed here really has the sense of, of, of someone being the recipient of divine favor. Being a recipient of divine favor. And so today we will move on to Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And uh, in the spirit of uh, equality, we're going to also include women in this. They shall be called daughters of God. But before we dive into God's word, I just, I just love to pray. Um, so would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you again just for the awesome privilege it is to be here this morning, to be here with each other, to um, deepen our relationship with each other, and to especially deepen our relationship with you, to get to know you better, to get to know your word and your will for us better. And Lord, I know and I acknowledge that I am absolutely inadequate to explain your word. So, Lord, I just want to ask you, would you please speak through me this morning here and through Lad uh, in the White Building? Well, we just want to be tools in your hand. And I, I pray, Father, that you would help us understand better through your Holy Spirit what it means that, that blessed are the peacemakers. Explain to us what it means to be a peacemaker and what it means to be called the Son of God. Thank you, God, that you are here, that your word promises us, that you're always present 
in that your word promises us that your Holy Spirit will lead us into truth. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We just heard a little fairy tale story here about a king who prided himself in being a great peacemaker. But really what we, what we saw there was a man who really served himself. And peace the, the, was really just an appearance of peace. It really served himself and it really was an avoiding of real conflict. And that's something we have, to, we have to be aware of. As we look at the whole issue of peace and peacemaking, sometimes we look at things that appear like peace and they're not. And so I just want to give you a few things that, that are not peace. Peace is not avoiding conflict, which I am and I'm, I'm sure some of you are really, really good at. Avoiding conflict and just, just kind of sit it out. Not confront out of fear of, of course, causing a, a loss of harmony. That's something that's really hard for me if there's unresolved conflict. And I, my tendency is to just ignore it until the urgency weighs off and you just kind of move on. But it always lingers and festers. That is not peace. Not peace is, is shying away from a needed confrontation. That's really just a conflict postponed. And enduring injustice silently is not peace. That's not peace. That's, that's really ignorance and, and cowardly. If we in, in see injustice and don't do anything about it. Peace is a central theme in the Bible and in the New Testament and in the Gospel and in Jesus' life specifically. You will find peace and, and a call to peace all through the New Testament. In fact, there's, there's one part of, of Jesus' life, really his life after the resurrection especially, when Jesus, every time he sees the disciples, you know how he greets them? He says, peace be with you. Every time, peace be with you. And he says that in a context where the disciples are about as unpeaceful as it gets. For three years, they've been following Jesus every day. Every step of the way, they were looking to him for guidance, for, for leadership, for direction, uh, for comfort. And they had actually expected him to set up an earthly kingdom with him as the king and them as his vice presidents or vice kings or whatever, ministers and secretaries. And in, in a day and a half, all of a sudden, he's taken, he's arrested, he's killed, and they feel incredibly threatened as his followers, as the people who had been with him every day for three years. And it gets to the point where after Jesus is, is executed and, and buried, they're hiding. They're hiding. They're fearful for their lives. If you, if you know the story of Jesus' arrest and then execution, that evening Peter is the only one of the disciples that actually dares to kind of follow and, and follow the proceedings. And then he's confronted as, as, or recognized as one of the followers of Jesus. And three times he denies him. Three times out of fear for his life, he says, I don't know the guy. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know. No, no, you got me wrong. You're thinking of something else. Three times. And then Jesus is actually killed and they hide because they're fearful for their life. And in the midst of that, Jesus comes in and says, peace be with you. I guarantee you the disciples are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> peace be with you. He says, peace be with you. What he's really telling them is, have peace in the midst of these circumstances. The circumstances really, they're hard, but you can have peace in the midst of this. Pretty much every letter that, that Paul or Peter, others have written, 
that we have in the New Testament, almost every letter ends with the blessing of peace, with a call to peace. Peace be with you. Live in the peace of Jesus. There's constantly a a call to peace. And then in the midst of this, oh, and Jesus, by the way, in one of the, the major prophecies about him in Isaiah 6 verse 9, I believe it is, it's one of the prophecies about Jesus that is often quoted, especially around Christmas time. And he's called the Prince of Peace in it. In a, in a prophecy about the Messiah that is supposed to come, he's called the Prince of Peace. And then I came across a passage in Luke 12 51 that kind of puzzled me in the context of of peace and and Jesus talking about peace in Luke chapter 12 verse 51 Jesus says do you think I came to bring peace on earth no I tell you but division now that doesn't sound like it should be in the Bible does it we're constantly called to unity and to and to living in peace and making peace and Jesus here says what are you thinking you think I came to bring peace on earth no I came to bring division very, very interesting. I think what Jesus is saying here is, I didn't come to bring the kind of peace that you're seeking and that you're looking for. And I think he didn't come to bring the kind of peace that you and I are often looking for. Jesus did not come to bring political peace on this earth. That was not his agenda. Contrary to a lot of the expectations for the Messiah, contrary to the expectations of his own disciples, As I said, to, until the last day before his arrest, they literally thought he came to be a, the king of Israel, to set up a kingdom and to get rid of the Roman occupation and restore peace and independence to the, to the people of Israel. And Jesus is saying, that is not what I came for. Yes, he came to make peace, but Jesus, and that's the context of this of the passage we're looking at in Matthew 5. Jesus is talking about peace between people and primarily talking about peace between man and God. And so I just want you to know that as we look at, at peace and making peace this morning, we will look at it in the context of peace between individual people and peace between you and God. That is what Jesus is talking about in this context in Matthew chapter 5. So today we will not talk about pacifism and justified or unjustified war. That's a can of worms I'm not opening today, not because I don't like opening cans of worms. I actually like that. But it's not the context of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. So we will focus on what he is speaking about here in this context to the people that are listening to him, people who are not experiencing individual peace for the most part, people who are, who are burdened and are looking for peace in their lives from Jesus. One thing that is very, very clear, and, and that's what I want to focus on uh, right now, and I'm going to take us to several passages to look at that, is that the Bible is clear that God wants us to live in peace with each other as people. It is God's will for you and for me to live in peace with each other and that we would live in peace with the people around us. I want to go to a couple of passages um, to, to look more into that. Romans 12 Verses 17 to 21. If you have your Bibles, open them up. I know most of you have them probably on your smartphone device. Open it up if you, if you can. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. Paul writes this. 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to read especially verse 18 again. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then I want to read one more uh, verse. We're going to look at a little bit more scripture than, than I usually do today. Hopefully I will not confuse you. But Matthew 5, maybe write down these references too so you can look them up later again. Matthew chapter 5 Verses 23 to 24. This is the same sermon uh, that Jesus is giving uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, just a little bit later on. Um, 5 verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. The context that he's talking about here is the context of Jews going to the temple to bring a sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins, for, for forgiveness, for reconciliation with God. And what he's saying is, before you come and worship God, if there's somebody that you're not at peace with, if you know there's somebody who holds something against you, or maybe somebody that you hold something against, before you come and, and come in God's presence and worship him, go and make that right. Go and make that right. Really what he's saying here is, first of all, in Romans he's saying, we are supposed, you and I are supposed to do everything within our power. Anything we could possibly do to live at peace with others. And just for clarity, let me tell you, that includes your neighbors. <laughs> that includes your co-workers. Yes, and it does include your in-laws. I know, it's tough. It does include your your children, it does include your spouse and other relatives. We're supposed to do whatever we can, whatever lies within our power, to live at peace with everyone. And then Jesus seems to say that our lack of peace, that our conflict with others affects somehow our relationship with God. Because he says, before you come and worship God, Go and make this right. Somehow there is a connection between our peace with other people and how we approach God in our relationship with him. And there's other passages that, that support that. In First Peter, God, uh, Peter writes to husbands and says, if you're not at peace with your wife, if you've done something to break peace with your wife, your prayers will be ineffective. Now, that's pretty, pretty strong stuff. If we are not at peace, if we have not done whatever we can to be at peace with others, to be reconciled, it affects our relationship with God. Our level of peace with others affects our relationship with God. And I believe it is because if we are not at peace with somebody else, it's not just an issue between me and that person. It's actually an issue between me and God because obviously I, I possibly have not taken his command to heart to do everything I can to be at peace. 
And so if we live out of obedience to, to God's word, it will affect our relationship with him. And our relationships with others affect our relationship with God. If you are a follower of Jesus and refuse to be at peace with somebody, to reconcile or to forgive, it's not just an issue between you and that person. It's an issue between you and your God. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the whole principle of forgive and you will be forgiven. Show mercy and you will be shown mercy. I think that comes into play here. In preparing for today, I, I read parts of a book by a guy called Ken, Ken Sandy. He wrote a book called Peacemakers. And here are some statistics just simply about peace among people who say they're followers of Jesus. People who say, yes, I believe in God. I have received Jesus as my Savior. I've accepted his forgiveness and, and, and their relationship with each other. In the U.S. alone, there's four-plus million lawsuits between followers of Jesus every year. Four-plus million lawsuits There's approximately 19,000 major church conflicts in the U.S. every year. And churches splitting over those conflicts. 1,500 pastors leave their jobs every month in the U.S. 1,500 pastors quit being pastors every month in the U.S. because of conflicts within the church. Don't worry, I'm not setting you up for my resignation or anybody's. But it shows how much we as a church take this command to heart. How much do we take it to heart that we are supposed to be at peace with each other, especially amongst ourselves within our faith communities? I want to look at with you at a few ways to biblically deal with conflict. I think the Bible gives us very good, practical, direct guidelines of what to do if there is conflict, because there will be. That's inevitable. The question is, how do we deal with each other as people who say we love Jesus and we love each other? I want to take you to some of them. The first one we find in Proverbs 19. And this one, I would call, the strategy for this one is overlooking an offense. Now, I know I've said earlier, ignoring a conflict is not peace. But there is conflicts that, that warrant overlooking and ignoring. Let's have a look at Proverbs 19, verse 11. It says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Hey, there is offenses that, that are worthy overlooking. And I know those of you that are married, you probably know what I'm talking about. Most Issues, most conflicts or fights, whatever you want to call them, that we has, have as married couples, at the end of that fight or, or at the height of, of the fight, most of the time we don't even remember what it was about and what it started with, isn't it? Oftentimes it's such a small, minuscule issue that just blows out of proportion. Why? Because of pride, right? Because of pride, because I want to be right. And sometimes my wife wants to be right. And then it, it comes to the point where it got so blown out of proportion when it would have been better initially to just overlook it. To just say, okay, you know what? this is just not worth it. But it's an issue of humility or pride. I think the Bible tells us there is things that, just, that are just worth overlooking. The next step 
would be reconciliation. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus actually gives us very direct guidelines for how to deal with conflict, especially in the context of, of church and faith communities. Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, which we've already looked at, but I want to have a look at it again. 23, therefore, if you're offering this gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Reconciliation is what God calls you and me to if there's a conflict between us. And there's different parts, different steps to reconciliation. The first one is admission. And again, it comes down to humility, saying, okay, I I understand I was wrong. I admit my part in this conflict. Admission, and then admission should lead to repentance. Very churchy word. Repentance really literally means turning around 180 degrees. Stop going where you're going. Turn around and go the other way. Reconciliation means stop. Do, uh, rep- repentance means stop doing what you're doing and change it. We need to admit and we need to repent. And then part of repentance is the act of asking for forgiveness. And that's hard, isn't it? Asking for forgiveness is, is humbling. It can be humiliating. It's hard for me. I can only imagine it's also hard for you. That's the next step, asking for forgiveness. It's hard. That whole, that whole issue of reconciliation, admitting, repenting, and And forgiving or asking of forgiveness is hard, but it's worth it. Sometimes reconciling actually means initiating conflict. Sometimes there is an issue that needs to be reconciled, and the first step to reconciling it is bringing it out into the open. And that can actually initially, initially cause conflict. But it's important that we're willing to go there. As, as crash members here, as members of this church, we make a commitment to speak truth and love to each other. That's, that's a strategy to, to keep and maintain peace or reconcile. But it's hard to do that, isn't it? It's, it's, it can be painful to speak truth. It can be threatening to speak truth. And it can lead to conflict. But unless it's spoken, it can't be resolved. It is hard, but it is worth it. Just in the midst of this week, actually, as I'm thinking this whole concept through of peacemaking and what does that mean for us, my children, we, we had a conflict with, with children or friends of ours. Nobody from K2, um, out of town. There was a major conflict that started, and it hasn't yet resolved itself. And just yesterday, I had a conversation with the wife of a good friend. And she says, I just don't know what to do about this. I, I, I feel like I need to address this, but I'm so fearful. For my friendship. And if you have children, <laughs> you know how protective we are of our children. And how threatening it can be to confront somebody or bring somebody up that involves their children and... And it was so interesting, as I'm preparing a message for this, I, I, I didn't see the issue in front of my own eyes, that, that it's clear I have to initiate a conflict here so that there can be reconciliation. And it's hard. But even my experience shows me it's hard, but it, it almost always, I can't actually think of a situation where I've had to initiate a conflict so that it can be resolved, where it didn't end up in a, in a positive result. 
You know, I know between my wife and I, we, we do occasionally have a little, a little conflict. It happens. Even pastors fight <laughs> with their pastor's wives. Wife, one, sorry. Um, <laughs> and you know, the, the, the bummer about that is that 99% of the time, it actually is my fault. <laughs> 99% of the time, it's me who has to come and say, oh, honey, yes, I was a knucklehead again. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I admit it. I repent. I ask for forgiveness. And every time she gives it, every time she gives it, every time it's worth it. I remember the last one in January. I actually, I actually dragged my feet a little longer than usual. And even though my experience shows she always forgives, it's always hard again to humble yourself and, and ask for it. But I sent flowers this time. And it, and it worked. And it worked. Forgiveness was given. But that time I really dragged my feet for a few days, which wasn't good, which is a violation of another principle that, that God gives us in terms of resolving conflict. And that's in Ephesians 4. Verse 23, it actually says, I'm not going to go there now. I think we'll have it on the screen, but it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger or while you're still angry. The principle here is get it done with, confront the issue, deal with it, reconcile. Don't let it fester because the longer you let it go, the longer it will, it will be an issue and the, long, the, the, the bigger the chance that there will become bitterness in your life. So God tells us, sometimes just let it go. Just let it go. It's not worth it. Sometimes you, you have to confront it. And sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. But he calls us to reconcile. Again, that means our own admission. It means repentance. It means forgiveness, both asking or giving. And he says, don't wait. Don't drag your feet. Do this as soon as you can. And then there are situations, and maybe you've, you've seen this. I know I've been in situations like this where, where maybe you or somebody else wants to reconcile, but you just don't get anywhere. And, and God recognizes that, and he gives us uh, a principle for that in Matthew chapter 8. I call it assisted peacemaking. Matthew chapter 18, verse 16. This is in the context of conflicts within the church, but I think this is universally true. 18, verse 16 says, but if he will not listen, if the other person you're trying to reconcile with will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony or two of two or three witnesses. Really, what he's talking about is if you, the two of you, can't resolve this, find a couple of other people, people who are experienced and wise, bring them in ob- objectively, neutrally to help you negotiate this. This is a biblical principle of mediation. And sometimes we, we just need that help. Again, there's humility involved and, and letting go of our pride and recognizing, okay, apparently we can't figure this out. But out of a true desire, hopefully, to, to bring reconciliation, to restore peace, bring others in to help you with that. And then Matthew 18 actually goes on to say, there is cases where reconciliation just will not happen. Unfortunately, that happens. That happens in the church. And the principle then is, then, then just let go of each other. And sometimes, as sad as it is, it is necessary so that peace, that peace can be restored for people to part ways. For, and not, not talking about, about marriages in this context necessarily, but for to say, you know what, it's just not good for us to be around each other. And unfortunately, 
that it can come to that point, but it should be the absolute last point after every effort has been made, as, as Paul said in Romans, as far as it depends on you, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. And the motivation behind this, this desire to reconcile should always be love. Love for the other person. Love for the person that you're having conflict with. And then a true desire to see a relationship redeemed and restored. The point in reconciling should never be, okay, I'm right, and let's, let's, let's make sure you understand that I was right. The goal is always love, or the, the driving force is love, and the goal is always to redeem and restore a relationship. The issue, I think, with making peace and being a peacemaker is that we can't bring peace unless we have received peace in our own lives. You can't give what you don't have. All of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the phrases, you know, uh, people say, oh, I'm at peace with it. I'm at peace with that. And oftentimes that just means I've arranged myself with this situation. Or people say, I'm, I'm at peace with myself. That usually means they're, they're satisfied and content with their circumstances. I believe, and the Bible teaches that there is a much, much deeper need that all of us have to have peace and to be at peace, not with ourselves only and with other people, but be at peace with God, with our Creator. And that is why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, verse 6. As I said earlier, He didn't come to restore peace on earth in Israel for that nation, even though that was an expectation. He came to, rest to restore peace between man and God. Jesus came on this earth to restore peace between you and your Creator and between me and my Creator. That was His number one goal and mission. He came to restore peace between you and God and me and God so that He could, through that, raise up an army of peacemakers on this earth. That out of the peace that, that we receive in our relationship with God as we are reconciled to him through Jesus, that that peace that we receive then flows over in our lives into the relationships around us to where we become an army of peacemakers. I want to take you to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Mm, wrong direction. Romans 5 verse 1 talks about Jesus bringing peace like this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because we put our faith in his son Jesus as the son of God who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for you and for my sins and rose again. That's how we are justified and have peace with God. Not by doing anything to appease him, not by pleasing him with anything we can do, but by having faith in his son Jesus. That is spiritual peace. That is spiritual reconciliation. We, we talked about reconciliation between people where there needs to be admission, repentance, and forgiveness. It's the same steps in peace with God. It's an admission that we have guilt in our lives, that we carry a burden that we cannot shake. An admission of guilt, of separation between us and God. And then repentance, the act of saying, God, forgive me. 
or thank you for your forgiveness through your son. That is spiritual reconciliation between you and God. That is what Jesus came to bring. By grace, God offers his forgiveness, and by faith, we accept it. And that is it. That's how you and I can have peace with God Almighty, the creator of the universe. And then, Matthew 5, where Jesus talks about this, where he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be son of God. That's what it means to become a son of God, is to have peace with God. As we accept Jesus as the peacemaker and reconciling us to God, we become sons and daughters of him. In Ephesians 1.5, it says that he then adopts you and me as his children. And we become his sons and his daughters. And when you have become his child, when you become a peacemaker, a peacekeeper, then that becomes, being a person of peace becomes part of your characteristic as a son or daughter of God. That's why in John, Jesus, Jesus says to the disciples, it's by your unity, the way you live with each other, the way that you keep peace with one another, that people will know that I was real, that people will know that you follow me. Being peacemakers and people who love peace becomes an identifying characteristic of you and me as a son and daughter of God. And when we have made peace with God through Jesus, then you and I receive the spirit of Jesus in our lives. Then we receive the spirit of the one who's called the Prince of Peace. And through his spirit, you and I can then become peacemakers who live out these biblical principles of reconciling with each other. Because our relationship with God, our vertical relationship with God, the peace that we have vertically with him has got to live itself out horizontally in the pe with the people in our lives. We can become peacemakers as we've received peace from God. One story in the Bible that stands out to me in that is the story of Zacchaeus, a short little man who was Jewish, who was despised by his people. He was anything but at peace with his peers because he was a tax collector for the Roman government. He had sold out, in the eyes of the Jews, he had sold out his integrity and everything else and was serving the Romans and in the, as a tax collector who took money from the Jews to give it to the Romans and in the meantime pocketed a lot for himself. A lot of corruption. He had burned a lot of bridges. But Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came to his town, Jericho, and Zacchaeus want, just wanted to get a glimpse of him. And Jesus came and, and saw him up in a tree because he was short. He had climbed up a tree to just see Jesus. He said, I will go to your house tonight. And all the peaceful people, the religious folks, thought he was coming to them. But he went to Zacchaeus' house. And in the process, or in that night during the meal that he shared with Zacchaeus and some of Zacchaeus' acquaintances, Jesus brought true peace to Zacchaeus' heart. He brought the peace of God into the house and heart of Zacchaeus, and it changed Zacchaeus' life completely. The peace that he received in the forgiveness of Jesus showed itself immediately in his desire to make peace with the people that he had wronged. And he went back to all the people that he had unjustly taken money from and more than, than he was supposed to and made right. He, he admitted his guilt. He repented. He changed his way. He received forgiveness. And as he received the peace that Jesus came to bring, he immediately turned around and extended that peace to the people in his life and restored relationships. One 
somewhat modern-day Zacchaeus, somebody I met a couple of years ago, somebody you will recognize, somebody who had a lot, a ton, kind of like Zacchaeus, wealthy, but became despised by people. I want to put a picture up. I met this guy two years ago. Recognize that guy? Michael Vick. I got his signature on a football. I met him at a, um, at a sports event at the Super Bowl two years ago where he shared his story of how he burned a lot, a lot of bridges out of pride, out of very, very poor choices. He had a lot. He had a ton of money. And then he got into this dogfighting ring. Just horrible, just despicable stuff. Got caught, lost everything, went to jail. And there was a man who was really a peacemaker, a man who had received peace from Jesus in his own life. His name is Coach Dungey with the Indianapolis Colts, whom I've met a couple of times too because I worked with the sports ministry before I joined staff here. And Coach Dungey was a peacemaker at heart and is, and he sought out Michael Vick. He visited him in jail when no one else did, when he was despised and dropped by everyone. And Coach Dungey went into jail and shared with Michael Vick the peace that he had in his heart with God, the peace and forgiveness that he had received. And in jail, Michael Vick committed his life to Jesus. In jail, he was reconciled and received peace with God. And his immediate reaction when he came out, and he shared that at this event uh, that I met him at, he shared how he received peace from God, how he received forgiveness for the things he did, and how immediately his heart changed. And, and a desire grew in him to make things right, to go and, 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 uh, and, and appease the people that he had offended, to go speak out against violence, against animals, and, and all that stuff. And it was incredible to see this man completely changed because he had received peace with God in his heart. And it turned him into a peacemaker. Because somebody else who had already been reconciled with God and received peace in his heart through Jesus, Coach Dungey, had become a peacemaker himself. That is, we can take that down, that is what God calls you and me too when Jesus says, blessed be the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And I want to ask the band to come up as I close. And I want to ask you this morning, I don't know where you're at right now in your heart. I don't know where you are in your experience of peace in your life. But I want to ask you, do, do you have peace? Do you have peace to give to others? Would people look at your life and consider you a person of peace? Would they consider you a peacemaker? And maybe you're here this morning and you, you've never made peace with God. Maybe he's the one that you need to make peace with this morning or today or this week. And I just want you to know that the Bible tells us that God can't wait to be reconciled with you. That God is just waiting for you to accept his peace offer in his son Jesus. To admit your separation from him. To, to repent and to ask him for forgiveness and to ask him for the peace that passes all understanding that the Bible talks about. Maybe that's the step you need to take. Maybe that's the step God is, 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 is drawing you in to take today. He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. 
and be at peace with him. And maybe, maybe you're here, you already have peace with God, but maybe you, you have to make peace with other people. And if you do, I'm almost certain that right now a name comes to your mind or two or three of people that you need to take a step to make peace with. And you know, in Matthew, 23, uh, Matthew 5, 23, 24, Jesus, Jesus said to people, before you go worship God, before you bring your offering to him, think, is, is there anybody that you're not at peace with? Is there anybody where you haven't done everything you can to be at peace with? And go and do that before you approach God because your experience of him is going to be completely different. And so I just, before we actually sing, I would just, before we, and what we do when we sing is really we bring an offering of worship to God. Today we don't need to bring burnt sacrifices anymore because Jesus has already been sacrificed for our sins. What we do when we stand up and we sing together, we bring a sacrifice of worship to God. And so I just want to give you a minute of silence before we do that. And do what Jesus talks about in Matthew 23, 24, 5, 23, 24. Think and pray and say, God, is there anybody in my life where I have not done everything I can to be at peace with? And obviously right now you probably can't, can't go to that person unless it's your spouse next to you, which is a very distinct possibility. Um, but in your heart right now, just allow God to tell you who is that. And in your heart, commit to taking steps of reconciliation, taking steps of making peace before we, before we approach God and worship.